The reading is from Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20, which can be found on page 1006 in the Church Bibles. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons, sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man, and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Good morning. Thank you, Esme. Do you ever look around and wonder perhaps in your own situation or situations further afield, where to find hope? What hope is there? When you see another homeless person on your way to church, when you hear news, more news of wars and innocent people injured, displaced, killed, when ideologies, economies, world leaders fail to bring liberation, justice and peace, sometimes it can all appear a little bleak, can't it? Where do we find hope in the apparent darkness? We're in a series, Discoveries That Change Life, learning from Mark's account of the life of Jesus. Mark began his gospel, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus begins his ministry with the proclamation, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. But what is the good news? What is the kingdom of God like? Would you pray with me as we start? Heavenly Father, thank you for this moment in which to pause from our activity, our stressing, our striving, 
to seek you, to listen to your voice, to allow you to speak into our lives. Please would you give us ears to hear what you have to say to us this morning. Amen. We're going to make one big discovery this morning as we go through the account we've just heard read in three acts. Act one, the occasion. The first couple of verses set the scene. Jesus has crossed the lake from the northern Jewish shores of Galilee to the southeastern Gentile shores. On alighting from the boat, Jesus is met by a man with an impure spirit. Has he come to greet Jesus, to welcome him to the area, to roll out the red carpet? Unlikely given the impure spirit and that he's come from the tombs. Mark offers a little more on this character so we have a fuller picture. This man is basically the living dead. He lives in the tombs, he lives among the dead. Not entirely unheard of at the time, there were probably others destitute living among these cave tombs cut into the hillside. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. This man with his impure spirit clearly has superhuman strength. Those around him have been binding him, but to no avail. Like Samson, he could break through his bindings, even metal chains, like charred rope. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. No one was strong enough to contain him. For all his power and strength, he was a self-destructive force. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. This is not a happy man. Far from it. He is unstoppable, untamable, and destroying himself. That's what impure spirits and dark powers do. They steal and harm and destroy. Yesterday, I visited a race, a fitness race, called High Rocks. I wasn't taking part, just spectating, as my purple wristband will tell you. The, the athletes have grey wristbands, if you see them on the tubes on their way home today. So they're racing today and yesterday at the Excel Centre near London City Airport. Now these athletes have to run eight kilometres and complete a strength workout every kilometre along the way. Things like ski erg, pushing sledges, pulling sledges, if you like that sort of thing. And at the top, these athletes are incredibly fit and strong. But not even they, with all their human strength, could contain our man in our story today with his impure spirit. You might have heard of the Marvel Cinematic Universe with its 33 films in the last 15 years. Well, I might be a bit rusty, but I think in the first Thor film, we're introduced to his younger brother, Loki, who is imprisoned for everyone's benefit. Yet, like our man, he escapes and wrecks havoc better in captivity. There's an irony that the things that pose the greatest threat are often the hardest to contain. Sometimes the powers of darkness seem overwhelming, unstoppable, untamable, uncontrollable, self-harming, self-destructive. This is the power our man uh, has as he comes from the tombs 
to meet Jesus. And we wonder, has Jesus finally met his match? Is traveling to this Gentile region one step too far? Has he crossed out of his zone into enemy-controlled territory? What's going to happen? Is the kingdom of God, of which Jesus said, it is at hand, is it a geographically defined, limited kingdom that goes so far but no further? Or is it a yin-yang kingdom that exists head-to-head in an opposite but interconnected, mutually perpetuating relationship with the kingdom of evil, the kingdom of Satan? What sort of a kingdom does Jesus bring? What sort of a king is he? We find out in our second act, our second act, the encounter. Having set the scene, Mark zooms in on the interaction. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Straight away, we discover that Jesus commands respect. The man, for all his chaotic, self-destructive power, runs towards Jesus and falls on his knees before him. He doesn't start flailing or rugby tackle Jesus to the ground or attack him with stones. His running to meet Jesus culminates in a falling to his knees before him. Several times in Mark's account, we see that it's the impure spirits who most immediately recognize Jesus for who he is. And this impure spirit compels the man to bend the knee before this newly arrived, never seen before, penniless preacher. And the spirit's spot on to do so. The verb used for worship in Greek is proskuneo, which means to kiss, to make reverence, to prostrate oneself in homage before. And that's the exact verb and action taken by this man. In awe of who Jesus is, he falls down in an attitude of fearful reverence. We know that demons don't worship Jesus. That's what defines them, their rebellion against him. But they cannot help but fall before him. Jesus commands respect. It's fascinating to me that unlike all the other encounters with the demonic, this one features a conversation. The demon is strong and vocal and desperate. Jesus has ordered the impure spirits, come out of the man, and he shouts, he begs, he pleads not to be tortured. Is this negotiation evidence that Jesus has found his match? I don't think so. But in case you're persuaded that round one is a draw, let's have a look at how round two unfolds. Jesus takes a different, fascinating approach. He asks the man, what is your name? And the man doesn't answer as we might. I'm Sam, John, Esme. He replies, my name is Legion, for we are many. It's an ominous reply. It's apparent this isn't the man's name. We don't actually learn his name, but it's the name of the impure spirit. 
The area was under Roman occupation at the time. They would have been familiar with the Roman army. A legion was around 6,000 men. And whether it's the man's voice or not, it's not under his control. It's under legions. The man is just a convenient vehicle, a host, a puppet for the parasite. We realise at this point just how dire the man's situation is. He is well and truly taken over, subjugated within his own body, outgunned, outmaneuvered, outwitted. He has no hope, oppressed, occupied by a legion of demons. Still, using the man's voice box, the demons beg and beg not to be sent far away. Perhaps they sense that the end of the negotiating window is near and reach for a compromise. The pigs, see the pigs. Send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. Remember, this isn't a Gentile region. Pigs are unclean. Jesus acquiesces. The demons come out of the man, however many thousand of them, and enter the herd of pigs. And immediately these pigs, all 2,000 of them were told, rush down the steep bank into the lake and drown. It's a shocking, violent, climactic moment. And it reveals something of the extent of the power of darkness that gripped this man. Legion had the self-destructive strength to overwhelm and drown 2,000 pigs. It's a wonder our man survived at all. All that power... And when push comes to shove, it's no match for Jesus. Now, I think it can be easy when we read accounts of Jesus' life to take it for granted that Jesus would be greater than the legion, even a legion of impure spirits. We're used to demons fleeing at his voice. We can easily tame the powers of darkness, forget just how brutal, strong, destructive they are. But if it had been you or me getting out of that boat, encountering that man, then I strongly suspect we'd have gone to great lengths to keep our distance. There's a short passage from Acts featuring the seven sons of Sceva, which I think is um, a helpful reminder not to take power over the demonic for granted. I'll read it for us. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul, I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit, uh, the man in whom was the evil spirit, leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them. So they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. The seven sons get their butts kicked. But in our story, the opposite occurs. Thanks to Jesus, the demon-possessed man is described as sitting there dressed and in his right mind. 
So it's a convincing defeat for Jesus, another win for the kingdom of God and a life-changing discovery for all of us. There's no power of darkness over which Jesus hasn't won the victory. Even a legion of demons are no match for him. But this leaves us with a decision to make. And we come to Acts 3, the responses. You might have noticed there were a few different responses as the passage was read. I wonder how you expected the episode to end with everyone rejoicing. The story takes a turn. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And what did they do? And they celebrated. And they thanked God, worshipped him. Invited Jesus into their homes to share their food, to learn more about this kingdom he's proclaiming. No. They were afraid. They're told about the man and the pigs and they ask Jesus to leave. What do you think of that? I think I get it on one level, but it's shocking on another. I can understand that having witnessed the terrible power possessed by this man, heard his gut-wrenching cries, seen his chains broken, fetters smashed, seen the cuts, the wounds, having seen this raw, fearsome power, to be confronted by one yet more powerful still must have been truly terrifying. And yet it's shocking, isn't it? What Jesus has done is only good. It's only kind, liberating, compassionate. Don't they want to hear more? No. They ask him to leave. But theirs isn't the only response. As Jesus accepts their request and climbs back into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed, whose name we still don't know, begs to go with him. The demons had begged to have nothing more to do with Jesus. The man now restored begs to go with him. Jesus has a better plan for the man. Go home to your own people. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, the 10 towns, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. This third reaction seems more appropriate. Hearing firsthand the story of the man no longer possessed by demons, his townspeople, far from being terrified, are amazed, wonderstruck that this man, whom perhaps they'd once known and had given up for dead, was returned to them, restored to his right mind. Jesus always attracts one of several reactions. A bit like Marmite, you can't be neutral on Jesus. You either want him to leave or you want him to stay. You want to never see him again or you want to go with him and be with him forever. Like the sower sowing the seed and it landing in different places, some on the path, the rocks, the thorns, none of which bears a crop, and other seed landing on good soil bearing a crop, some a hundred times what was sown. I think sometimes we can think to ourselves, if only Jesus were here, if only he confronted me now in the flesh, 
I'd be persuaded to believe or someone I love might be persuaded to believe, to give our lives to him. Yet, this passage, this reaction Jesus gets shows that he's never been entirely popular. Some people met him in the flesh and didn't like what they discovered. It was this reaction eventually that led Jesus to the cross where he was executed, naked, ashamed, forsaken, the living dead as he hung there, suffocating slowly outside the city walls. Jesus, having restored the broken humanity in the demon-possessed man, was himself rejected, despised, humiliated, stripped of clothes and dignity, so that all who looked to him might be restored. This demon-possessed man, whose name we still don't know, perhaps the first apostle to the Gentiles, he was like the Goliath of the Decapolis, except that his strength wasn't harnessed as a figurehead, but threatened as a self-destructive force. And like David fronting up to Goliath's physical strength, Jesus goes toe-to-toe with Legion. And as a thousand years before, it's not even a contest. Jesus is stronger than all powers of darkness. Jesus brings freedom. Jesus brings life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the message of good news that we have in Jesus, in his gospel, in his life, as we see humanity restored, the powers of darkness overcome. We pray that we would see that power, Jesus' power at work in our own lives, restoring us, restoring those around us and pushing back the darkness that threatens. In Jesus' name, amen.